everybody. Welcome to The Afterword. I'm Dave Tish. We are in week two of a sermon series we're calling The Life We Want, which is kind of a presumptuous title if you think about it, because it means that I kind of know what you want. But in general, I don't. Uh, but I think what the premise of the title is that Jesus is actually inviting us into the life we actually want, whether or not we know it or not, which is, again, presumptuous. But hey, Jesus is God, and he might know a little something about humans since he created them. So that's what we're going with, that Jesus is actually inviting us into not just life, but life overflowing. So this week, we're going to be looking at the first of our three loves. The three loves are love God, love your neighbor, and love one another. We're going to be looking at love God. And in order to do that, we have to define what we mean by love and what we mean by God. So with that, we're going to have Jay Kim in the studio here to help us tease that out. Make sense of that? So with that, let's just dive right in. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Afterword here with Jay Kim. Jay. Hey. It's the first weekend of football. Oh, my goodness. That's right. NFL. Yeah. Niners. Yeah. Now, did you grow up as a Niner fan? Yes. Or a Raider fan? Niner fan. Well, the Raiders were in L.A. Oh, oh, that's right. When you were a big part of it. Big chunk of it. I mean, I liked the Raiders because I liked Bo Jackson. Oh, who didn't? So, and I played Super Tech Mobile and Bo Jackson. (laughs) <laughs> a beast. One of the most unstoppable video <laughs> good characters ever. People should YouTube Bo Jackson Super Tech Mobile. It's hilarious. Just He's untackable. Yeah, it's just he never goes down. It's unbelievable. So I like Bo Well, Jackson. you know who brought him down? Lawrence the Cin- Taylor? The Cincinnati Bengals. Ooh, ouch. Yeah. That's true. Have you ever watched the documentary about what actually happened? Yes. Did he, he was going so fast. And, and so strong. His body left his leg, basically. <laughs> That's, is what happened. Yeah. He dislocated his, his hip. Yeah, his hip came out it was, of its socket. It was him. He, he did it. He his did strength. It. He was. He, he was, hurt himself. Yeah. He basically carried a 260 pound man on his leg, and yeah. and basic. And anyway, yeah, it's kind of gross and sad. Can you imagine if he only played football full time and played a full healthy 15 years, he would probably be considered the greatest football player of all time. Yeah. yeah. Arguably. I mean, he was the most gifted. Oh, can I tell one Bo Jackson story? Because yes. everyone has one. Yes. I was in Riverfront Stadium watching the Reds, probably 88, 89. Okay. Because you grew up in Ohio. I grew up in Ohio. Cincinnati, and so Riverfront Stadium had a, a wall at the left field, 305. Yeah. Jackson is there, I think, in left field. Because if you don't know, Bo Jackson also played baseball. <laughs> yeah, that's a weird thing to say. Kansas City Royals. Yeah. So yes. Bo Jackson was a two-sport star. Probably yes. the first. He was just that unbelievably gifted. Yeah. There was a just a warning track kind of fly ball. Yeah. And Bo Jackson, the, there was a guy in third who was slow. It was okay. our catcher. Yeah. Whose name was Diaz. Yeah. And Bo Diaz. He was okay. super slow. You His tiny, name was also Bo? Bo Diaz. How weird. Yeah, it was Bo on third and Bo Diaz. Uh, if I'm remembering right, you timed Bo Diaz with the sundial. I mean, that's how slow <laughs> yeah. this guy was. So he's trying to tag up. Okay. And Bo, so it's, it's going to, I mean... But it's a 305. Yeah. He's on the warning it's track. It's a long ways, yeah. Bo Jackson catches it. Yes. And from my memory, and I don't, I don't, he threw flat-footed. Flat-footed. <laughs> no bounce? No, one bounce. Okay. But a strike. Yeah. 
and threw out Bo Diaz. Oh my god! The Reds catcher from the warning track. From the warning track. That is crazy. It was. I mean, it was Bo Diaz, which is basically like me. But still. <laughs> but still. Yeah, that's crazy. And I, if I remember, that's a football field. It's a football field. Yeah, yeah three hundred five. Yeah, throwing football. Field. It's unbelievable. That's insane. It's unbelievable. He might have taken a hop step, like he might have like gathered yeah. and hop stepped, yeah. but I I swear I feel like it was almost like <laughs> just flat. It was just flat footed. It, it was crazy on the money. Anyway, incredible. Okay, now let's get back to where we are. We're in our sermon series, the life we want. Yes, and we're talking about the three loves: love God, love one another, and love uh, your neighbor. Oh, let me say it in the right order: love God. Love your neighbor. Yes. Love one another. Yes. That's the, the order of it. I always get that wrong. Um, this week, we are just kind of teasing out just the first of those yeah. ideas, love God. And we spent a lot of time talking about love mm-hmm. as a definition. Yeah. Because our culture has some bad ideas about what love is. Right. And uh, I loved I loved when you were when you were talking about this and in, in, as you were kind of developing, you kind of developed this, um, this really, I would say, definition of cultural love that we have that's really passing Hmm. it's like if i have feelings for someone that makes me happy that's love or if i have sex if i have sexual desire for somebody and that's that's kind of if you and the more i thought about that the more i saw that everywhere yeah and i think you would say i think you would say i would ask you i guess it feels like that's not anything you can build any life on no it's just yeah completely non-sustainable right and I think the order of things really matters. So it is not to say sexual desire is evil. That's not love. That's not what I'm saying at all. Right. Um, it's the order of things, you know. So sexual desire is actually a beautiful gift from God. <clears throat> but misordered or misaligned, it can be destructive. And to, you know, pertain to this conversation... If we equate the desire itself with love, um, then it ruins us. Uh, Because in its healthiest form, desire and longing is, you know, sort of an expression of a much deeper, longstanding commitment to somebody through effort. You know, there's the M. Scott Peck quote that I quoted at Saratoga that love is, it's not ephemeral feelings. It's a committed, thoughtful act of will. Right. You have to will yourself to love someone. On the one hand, that sounds like a bummer. Like, I wish it would just come naturally. On the other hand, it's profoundly beautiful. Because if you can, if, if love is a committed, thoughtful act of will, that means you can literally love anybody. You, know you, I mean? you make the decision. There's not make a single will. person on the planet right. outside the bounds of possibility. So M. Scott Peck said it's not ephemeral feelings. Yeah. But the theologian, the the great rock band from the 70s, Boston, <laughs> yes. said it's more than a feeling as well. got to sing it when you sing it. You <laughs> can't just say it. You, you, you got to. So good. That's so good. That's um, true. It is true. So so what I love then is that roots, What I think what you were trying to do and with this definition is root 
love in will and sacrifice. Yeah. Is that kind of how you see it? Because you even went back to Aquinas, the great theologian, yeah. and said love is to, to will the good of another. Yeah. To work for the good of someone else, which turns the focus of love away from self yeah. to somebody else, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, the the verse I think you and I both read, First John, this is love, right? First uh, John 4, this is love. Not that we loved God and that he loved us back. But this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So there's a lot there. It means that, you know, there's another part of the New Testament where, where we read, while we were still sinners. While we were yet sinners, Christ yeah. died for us. So that's love. love right. Love is, is, again, a, a committed, thoughtful act of will. It's, it's the willingness to go first at great cost to yourself. It's not based on this person or this thing gives me butterflies or I feel the electricity. It's not that those things aren't a part of love. They certainly They can are. be, yeah, for sure. I've, I've felt those things with my wife. Um, you know, so... But, but I think we get the order wrong. I think culture just wants to sell us... Um, the sort of resulting feeling of genuine love right. and sell it to us as love. And then, of course, you see this all over in movies and TV and in, in culture. Yeah. Once that feeling goes away, you you chase the feeling to the next person. Right. And there's no commitment longstanding. And it just doesn't, it's not how it works. Yeah. I don't know how else to say it. It's right. not, not the way it works. Yeah. The people that we know who we love the most have been the people who have sacrificed the most for us, who have proven Proven their love for us, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and and we know from the love we've received and the love we've given, given, those relationships are not, they don't always feel good. Yeah. I mean, you go through a lot of pain. Yep. A lot of struggle, a lot of tension sometimes. Um, but, but it's in the fires of that hardship that real genuine love is forged. Yeah. And somebody says, I choose I choose to love even though you're acting pretty unlovable right now. And, right. and you did not load the dishwasher correctly after having been repeatedly warned. Yeah, this is hypothetical. Hypothetical. This, this never happens in the no. Jewish household. We're just saying, <laughs> if it were to have happened. Listen, my wife has married to me, man. So she does not need a lecture on what it means to love someone who is unlovable at times. Um, let's talk about this, though. There's, there is a difficult. You, you touched on it. And a lot of theologians have said this, that actually the order of love is actually different. When we say love God, to some people that might feel like a to-do list, like, hey, oh, right. get yourself together. Yeah, why can't you do why this? Why can't you do this yeah. better? Uh, and I, I don't think that's what we're saying. No. It's not a performative or even a judge or shame thing. Like, um, I think about the story of my, my buddy who he would call his mom and he called his mom and She's like, uh, hey, how you doing? He's like, hey, Ma, how you doing? She's like, well, I haven't eaten in 37 days. You haven't eaten in 37 days. Why haven't you eaten in 37 days, Ma? Well, I didn't want to have food in my mouth, lest you should call. <laughs> it was just <laughs> like, it's not that kind of, yeah. it's not the guilt trip. It's right. not the, why don't you do better? Like, right. say hello to your mother for me. Yeah. This, the, a lot of theologians say, Actually, loving God is actually staring at what he's done and who he is and how much he's loved us right. and letting that somehow fill us. Yeah. And then out of that overflow, it just spills on everyone around us. Right. So first we fill ourselves lavishly yeah. by staring at how much God has loved us, which is the, the genesis of that quote um, from yeah. John, that scripture, that quote, the, the passage right. of scripture from John. 
Um, do you have any reflections on that? Because I think sometimes that can be hard for people. It does feel like yeah. a lot of people have gone um, and been raised in religious traditions where it was a lot of guilt, shame. Right. A lot of why don't you do better? If you really loved God, then you would, and that kind of thing. Right. So have you seen that? How do we get disentangled from that? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, um, you know, the Christian psychologist, Kurt Thompson, he's got that great line in his book, The Soul of Shame. Uh, and we've quoted him before, but it's such a good line. He says, every human comes into the world looking for someone looking for them. And he's actually talking about that from both a psychological, psychological and theological yeah. perspective. We're all born into the world looking for someone who is looking for us. In other words, we, we come into the world not knowing how to make sense of ourselves and the world until someone looks upon us, sees us. And they, that person or those people become the sort of anchoring point from which we can build a life. And, you know, human beings are flawed and sinful. So even if we had wonderful parents, and for me, it's interesting, I had one wonderful parent and one completely absent parent. So I've, I've experienced kind of both in a strange way. But even the wonderful parent, they can't possibly look at you in, in, a sort of, in the sort of way that can instill real certainty and assuredness that you're loved. Not perfectly. Not perfectly. Even the most loving yeah. parent can't do that. So then what that means is in some ways we have gaps in our ability to really receive love and therefore situate ourselves appropriately in, in our lives yeah. and in the world. It's only when we see God looking at us with love that we begin to realize, oh, there is a there is a perfect sort of love that has been extended to me. But because God is not physical, flesh and blood, you know, it takes a long time to see that, I think. Maybe it takes a lifetime to see that. But what I've learned is the people I know who seem to have the most steadiness through the chaos that is life one of the consistent through lines about all those people is that they have they seemingly have experienced the long unwavering loving gaze of God in their life and I think that's what keeps them steady and sure and I think that's the start uh, we talked about it a little bit on Sunday at Saratoga but until we can really do the work of beginning at least to open ourselves up to more more adequately and fully receive the love of God, then all these other things we're going to talk about in this series are sort of a mute point. Yeah. It's it's pretty... If you don't receive God's love, at least in part, then loving God, neighbor, one another, it's, it's it, will, it will devolve into performative behavior. You'll just do stuff that looks and sounds like loving God, neighbor... Like to earn. ...one another. Yeah. And yeah. what you'll be doing is you'll be manufacturing... Mm. that sort of air quotes love you know um, we have to we have to begin by receiving the, the love of God every day and it begins with little things just community that reminds you you're beloved even when you don't believe it you know people who can believe it for you that's why life groups and yeah. deep friendships maybe spiritual uh, mentoring or spiritual direction mm -hmm. those types of things are important 
And then, you know, the worshiping life of the church, I said it in yeah. uh, Toga, that's one of the reasons. It's a recentering. So yeah. It's a recentering. Like yeah, a, there's like that a reset quote, button. Yeah, the James Smith quote, you know, worship that restores us is worship that restores us. Every week, you know, we're living in these in these sort of stories that culture is telling us. And often those stories go something like, well, you're not really good enough, so you got to do better. So you're worthy of, and then fill in the blank, you know? And worship is a means by which we untether ourselves from that lie and we realize, on one hand, yeah, I'm not worthy of anything, and that is the point. That's why God's love and his grace is so profound. Because he doesn't wait for me to be worthy. He loves me because he loves me. Um, So, yeah, I, I think that there's probably a lot of work many of us have to do. It's it's why we have a care, a pretty robust care ministry here. You and I are sitting in the care ministry office right now as we record this. Right. Um, you know, our partnership with Christian Counseling Center. We, we want to try to engage at this level because we know it's hard for a lot of people to Be, receive love. Right, because I think, like you said, if that's true, if we all come into the world, this strange world that's scary, we all cry out at the shock and strangeness of being born into this crazy world. Yeah. And we look around for someone who's looking for us to belong. And if our parents of origin or if our family of origin did not provide that or provide us something different or opposite, cruelty or toxicity or even abandonment, yeah. then it can be really, those those are scarring truths. Yeah. Or actually, they're lies. <laughs> Yeah. They're scarring toxins yeah. that, that scar us, that make us believe things about ourselves in the world that just aren't true, that we need to counteract with the truth of, of who God is, yeah. um, that he has been looking for us right. and knit us together and all the all those truths. Yeah. Um, how, how kids, what role does theology play in this? Because we talked about truths and lies and meditating on truths. It seems like the truth of God because we, we started off with this creation narrative, right? That actually, if you stare at it, it's pretty cruel. Yeah. The gods are cruel, right. mean. They create humans for slave labor, and they yeah. get mad because they're making too much noise. Right. right? I mean, this is basically the ancient yeah. Mesopotamian, Fertile Crescent kind yeah. of development of religion this is the epic of gilgamesh's prelude which i don't we had to read that in high school maybe you had to read it um this is the story of where we came from um and it's really dark yeah and it doesn't seem like our culture has one that's much more like the same story yeah we've just the scientific revolution has sort of ripped the gods from the story but it's the same story right we are flesh and blood just genetics. We, yeah. we labor and toil, um, and really there isn't any great meaning. You just kind of enjoy what little you can, and then your life just falls into a meaningless heap. So grab that spiked done. kombucha and get exactly. on your bike and have pizza in the park with your friends, and that's it. We'll Which see you later. None of that's bad. That's great. But, but well, yeah, you know, kombucha's but. gross. But yes, <laughs> but in general, if yeah. you enjoy kombucha, please don't write in. But the, but the idea. But the idea is that there's no ultimate meaning, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's because the belief goes, we've been made for labor, just like produce stuff for yeah. yourself, really, you know, and then enjoy that stuff and then die. Yeah. But um, the biblical story is that no, you've been made out of love and for love. You were made in love, you know. Right. And um, until we get that. 
we just won't, I don't think we'll ever experience truly the life we really want until we get that we've been made for and in love. One of the things that does seem true is so many people are actually afraid to receive because they feel like uh, this debt of gratitude or in general the way that life works is they have to prove that they're worth keeping around. They have yeah. to, to labor for this. So receiving from God feels, it feels almost illegitimate to even ask God for something. Right. Um, how would you counsel or talk to somebody who feels deeply? It's actually inappropriate for me to ask God to give me anything. Yeah. Let, to, you said that the most healthy people you know really feel like God is attentive to them and they have stood and basked yeah. in his love for them. Some people feel like well, that's good for them, but I'm not one of God's favorites. Yeah. That's not me. Right. I, I'm, I'm barely in. Like if I'm in the household of God, I'm I'm barely I'm barely I'm barely there. There's God has his favorites, and that's it. And I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm barely in the room. Yeah. Like he's got thousands of kids, and I'm like his least favorite. How do you help somebody overcome? Well, like in your in your time, how have you helped somebody overcome that? Because that that those kind of damning thoughts yeah. about oneself can yeah. really make it hard to approach the throne of grace with confidence. As John would right. later say, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. As our prayers draws into the to the one who calls out before we even call his name, right? Yeah, that's yeah, that's the truth of what John says, but that's hard to believe sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I, I think a couple of things. One, I would say, you know, live with awareness that that's how you feel. If mm. that's really how you feel, and then um, doubt your feelings for a while. Like, why do you feel that way? Deconstruct the deconstruction. Yeah, I love it. You know. Um, question your feelings for a bit. Like, well, why? Like, why do you think? And if you go to the scriptures and you surround yourself with healthy Christian community, brothers and sisters who um, will speak truth into your life, I think what most people will pretty quickly see is that, the, one, those are just lies of the enemy um, who desires for us to stay sort of shackled, you know, to, to these lies. They tell us we're not good enough. You can't possibly go to God. He's not going to whatever. Um, so that's the first thing I would say. Second, I, I would say it's okay for it to take a long time. Like no one should try to rush that. No one should try to feel like, yeah, I shouldn't believe this. It's a lie. So by tomorrow I better feel like, oh, yeah, I can t I'm, I'm totally, totally adequate enough to receive the love of God. You should just like sit in the reality of how you feel. But surrender it to God, you know, go directly to him. I think it's interesting. Sometimes we assume those things about God, <clears throat> but don't actually ask him, like, is that really how you feel? Ooh. So we have the scriptures that tell us how God really feels. Obviously, prayer. Again, Christian community. And the other thing I would say is um, <laughs> not to oversimplify it. But when, when you hear or begin believing that lie that, like, yeah, I can't possibly go to God, ask him for whatever, his love is, like, you, you must not forget God has already given you the most expensive, the most costly gift he could possibly have given you. He's already given it to you. So it's a little backward to say, I couldn't possibly ask God. Like, what can you ask him for? His son died for you. Willingly. So, yeah. And he did that before you asked. Right. So what does that even mean to say, I can't possibly, like, where does that come from? 
So I would see the whole tension in light of the fact that God gave his son to die for you. On the off chance, you might say yes to him. You know, right. So, And that's the foundation of God's character, which could free you up yeah. to maybe rethink. Okay, let's talk about this too, because there's one other part. Oftentimes, I just think for a lot of folks, and I heard, I've heard this, uh, I even heard this this morning as people were coming out of, of the service, we just had people sit and think for a bit and yeah. just really, you know, think about God's goodness. And I kind of was a cheerleader. Yeah, I'm kind of a cheerleader yeah. talking about God's goodness and his love, right? Yeah. That's what then we sing some songs and people sat in it and there's a lot of wet eyes. Yeah. And a lot of people were like, man, that's what I needed. I really needed that today. I really needed that this week. It was a hard, you know, hard week or I've been going through some stuff. What role does just taking time to be silent and think about this stuff yeah. In a world full of busy, it feels like Silicon Valley is so fast. Like one of the best disciplines you could have is just create space. Yeah. To like really talk to God about the way you feel and what's going on. Like whatever that quiet, quiet contemplation is. Yeah. Because no other voice is going to matter. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, I, I think the lack of a spacious life creates inevitably creates shallowness in us i think we live shallow lives because our lives lack the the necessary space to dig deep and when we are in a state of shallowness the most fleshly the most sort of culturally loud ideas are gonna win out they always are because it requires depth to excavate beneath the stuff that's actually untrue. But I think we're so busy, we don't have time to do that. So then we just end up defaulting to all these cultural ideas that aren't true. Like, you got to earn it. Sure. <laughs> or you got to make it. Or you got to, yeah. you know. So if, if you don't mind, I, I know you just came off a season that was maddeningly busy. I mean, you had a book you had to write. You... You were installed as a lead pastor about a year ago. There, there was a lot of busy. How do yeah. how do you create? Sp- you got two young kids. You got a wife. Yeah. Like there's a lot going on in your life. Like what what do you do? Do you have like a rhythm? Do you have a thing that you do? Like if somebody's like, Jay, I'm busy. Yeah. Like Dave, I'm busy. Like what? I, I don't know how to do. I want to create that space. Do you do it morning? Do you do evening? Do you, do do you? How do you do it? I'm just wondering. Maybe pull back. The, the curtain for inside baseball yeah, to see if I there's mean, a practice you have. Yeah, a lot of the time I fail. Sure. But I think that's, even in some ways, there's a grace in that. I, I mean, I don't fail because I'm trying to fail. I just fail because it's hard. And, so, you know, and sometimes life gets really hectic. But generally, the way it works for me is early mornings before the kids wake up. I just try to get up and... Um, you know, making a cup of coffee is sort of a spiritual endeavor for me. So I pray for my wife and children every morning when I make myself a cup of coffee. Um, and then I will simply sit with that cup of coffee and the Bible, and I'll just read for a little bit. Sometimes I'll read long extended texts, and sometimes I'll just read very briefly and uh, pray. But the prayer is never like, out loud my kids are sleeping sure sure before my kids are sleeping so it's really just sitting there with my thoughts 
So yeah, that's that's a pretty consistent thing most mornings. Just yeah. kind of a before the day starts. Yeah, and that really helps. Yeah, that really. I helps. think the demands of kids. Uh, I feel the same way. I have to do it when there's no one up. Yeah. Because otherwise, I feel the demands of right. even them being awake. Yeah. Even the dog being awake yeah, feels yeah. like a demand. Yeah. I, I don't know how else to say that. Um, I feel the same way. Yeah. My, I got up at a really early on Saturday. And my wife was like, "Why'd you get up so early?" I'm like, "Cause I, I needed." Time before everyone was up. Yeah, it's it's my day off, and this is the most precious time I have before anybody gets up. Luckily, I have teenagers now; they sleep into eleven, so it's fine. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so that's just a, an idea for folks. I, yeah. I guess just do what works for you, but but carve out space and time, right? Yeah, carve out space and time. Yeah. We all need this time. Yeah. Next week, now let me let's let, we're going to show our hand a little bit. Next week, yeah. we're going to talk because when Jesus was asked, "What's the most important of all the laws in the Mosaic Law?" He did a little bit of a, a judo step, a little a two-step, right? Yeah. He said, love God, but then he tied it forever to loving people. Yeah. Next week, we're going to start talking about that. Yeah. Um, and we'll talk about if there's a danger in separating loving God and loving people, because God doesn't, Jesus doesn't seem to. Yeah, so. and in Romans, there's this line that I think Steve and Andy will get into about, you know, that, that there's a debt of love. We owe a debt to love our neighbors specifically, you know, and right. I think that's a fascinating thought that they're going to get into. So, well, it's also just the idea that once you love God and you're like, God, I love you so much. It, it, you're amazing. He's like, Yeah, isn't this great? Yeah, and, and then you're basically like, Hey, what, what? Uh, I'll do anything. And he's yeah. like, Oh, well, uh, love the people around you. Like he immediately yeah. takes yeah. whatever gratitude. Is at least in my experience, he's like, Oh yeah, I love Nicole well. Love your kids well. Love yeah, your right. coworkers well. Yeah. Pray for these. God immediately takes whatever gratitude you have and says, I want you to love my children yeah, well. I want you right. to love. It's just, it's all, it's always that way, isn't yeah. it? It's yeah, it's right. always that way. Yeah. Um. So we'll talk about that next week. Yeah. And and week uh, week three of this. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Jay. Thank you, and thank you, Bo Jackson, for eight <laughs> glorious years. So just it was just eight. I don't know something like that. It was all right. Well, if you're a football fan, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, enjoy football, enjoy season. football season. But also make time, just yeah. like you make time for your fantasy draft, <laughs> and make time for your fan to set your fantasy league every every week. Maybe set some time. I'm not going to guilt trip you, but if you've got time for fantasy football, you should have time for Jesus. <laughs> No, that was guilt trippy. I'm just kidding. All right. We'll talk to you soon, Jay. All right. Thanks, man. Bye. Bye. Just want to say thanks to Jay Kim for stopping by. And thanks to Bo Jackson for sponsoring this week's podcast. Also, next week, we're going to be looking at the second of our loves. Love your neighbor. Andy Gridley and Steve Clifford will be here to talk about what that means. And believe me. It's not just inspiring, it is really challenging because loving your neighbor, that's where the rubber meets the road. It's tough sometimes. So they're gonna be here talking about that. So join me next week when we delve into that one. See you next week.